0: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode um, on the opening day of the new IPL season, which began today. Um, Well, um, uh, today, RCB lost against CSK, so that's a good start. Um, we would like to thank all our listeners for, uh, for their support. Um, please do not forget to subscribe to our podcast uh, on, uh, on whichever platform you listen to us on, be it Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anything like this. Uh, you know how to uh, search for our podcast. You just look for Armchair Cricket Podcast and you will be able to find us quite easily. We'll also provide links to all these uh, platforms in, our, in the description of this episode. Um, do not forget uh, to leave us a rating um, if you like your, our podcast, please leave, give us a five-star rating, uh, and also you know leave your uh, feedback in the comment section. You can also write to us uh, by email. Our email address is at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at armchaircrickpod. You can find us there uh, online during a, an ongoing match. Uh, you can also join us there for a banter. We also have a Facebook page. Like I said. The description for that is uh, mentioned below. We periodically post uh, quizzes and polls on our Facebook page, so feel free to, you know, chime in with your ideas, also with the answers. It's going to be fun. Um, with uh, the World Cup approaching, uh, you know, pretty soon in a couple of months, uh, we have a special feature lined up today. Um, uh, to, we also have a special guest uh, in our episode today. Uh, this guest is actually a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for, yeah, I think pretty much 20, 25 years now. Um, So let me welcome Karna. Hi, Karna. How are you doing? I'm good,
1: Giri. Uh, uh, Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, Like you and Ajit, I've been a fan of uh, test cricket for the longest period of time. And I've been a fan of your podcast show as well. I think I've listened to almost all your episodes so far. And I really enjoy listening to you guys talk about cricket, about test cricket and how passionate you are about the game. So uh, thank you for having me here. And I hope we can have a good show today.
0: Thanks for being with us and also for the kind words, Karna. Um, uh, With that, I would also like to introduce my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. Welcome again. How have you been? Hello, Giddi. I'm doing good. Thanks a lot. Uh, Well, it's been sort of a damp
2: evening. In in terms of mood, I meant. I was looking forward to the first match of the IPL. I don't follow IPL much, but you know, there was a bit of personal stake there, RCB were playing. Unfortunately, well, uh, we'll probably get into it near the end of the podcast. But uh, yeah, before we go on with the events of this week, let's look at the trivia question. So, the trivia question we had asked last week was a very easy one. So, the question was which nation holds the record for the quickest test win? Because, in terms of matches, right? so the context of this question was indeed we were discussing afghanistan's win against ireland and you know afghanistan clinched it in their second match so they share this record with england and pakistan that uh, a, a team won their second ever test match and recorded a first test win then so the answer is very obvious if you have been listening to us so in the very first cricket match ever the test match in 1877 between england and australia australia defeated england and this match Uh, Meant that Australia have the record; Uh, they won their very first Test match. So theirs is the you know smallest number of matches that was ever taken. To look at it is uh, 45 from New Zealand, who over a 26-year period they debuted in 1930 as a team, but their maiden Test win was in 1956. So this was the let's say the longest time, both in terms of years and the number of matches, right, for a team that uh, won and the other latest debutant was Bangladesh, and uh, these guys, um, well, over a period of five years and 35 tests, they then won their very first test match. So, it took them 35 matches as well. So, this is just a quick rundown. So, going forward, um, I think we can first take a look at the second T20I between uh, you know South Africa and Sri Lanka. Maybe Giri, you can take us through this match.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Uh- South Africa and uh, Sri Lanka played this match at Centurion. Um, Let's remember that Sri Lanka lost the first match um, uh, as it has been in this limited over series, be it the one day or uh, the T20. In The second match, um, South Africa and Sri Lanka, you know, they played at Centurion, like I said, and um, Sri Lanka again ended up on the losing side. Um, Although, you know, it it looked like a one-sided match until uh, Isuru Udana played a cameo uh, of 84 runs from 48 deliveries. In fact, it was unbeaten at the end in chasing a South African score of 180 runs. Um, Sri Lanka, in fact, lost by 16 runs in the end. Uh, so Udana's heroics uh, were not enough, unfortunately for Sri Lanka. Looking at South Africa's batting, um, South Africa you know, won, I think South Africa won the toss and decided to bat first uh, in this game as well. And then um, Sri Lanka won the toss and elected to field first. Um, South African batsmen, apart from Markram, I think they had a good time uh, out in the middle. Uh, Markram coming back into the side again in the hope of finding a World Cup spot, I would say. But a failure from his side. He got out for three runs. Uh, apart from him, Riza Hendricks made uh, a brisk 50. He, he made 65 runs in 46 deliveries. And man of the match, van uh, der Dusen, he made 64 runs from 44 deliveries. So they pretty much, um, I think it was a par score or maybe 10 runs over par, like Malinga sent towards, uh, said towards the end of the match in, the, in his press, in press conference. Um, South African bowlers, oh, sorry, Sri Lankan bowlers, bowled pretty well, especially Malinga, uh, who had a very good game. He bowled four of us for 26 runs and a wicket. Uh, Udana also got a wicket, and so did uh, Dananjaya De Silva. But apart from that, uh, I, Van Der Say, the leg spinner, he also bowled well, was economical. Um, but in the end, I think the score was pretty manageable, had... Sri Lankan batting, you know, turned up and delivered what was expected from them. As Malinga said in his, uh, you know, interview at the end of the match, the top order failed again. The batting has been letting them down uh, in this uh, uh, limited over series. Diquela got off to a, a flying start, but then he couldn't capitalize. The others like uh, uh, Fernando, Vishwa Fernando, was it Vishwa or uh, is it the other Fernando? Um, and Kusal Mendis didn't get off to a start. Uh, you know, he, he got out cheaply. Tissara Pereira looked, uh, you know, to occupy the cre- crease for some time, but got out also for 22 runs. And until um, uh, Isuru Udana, you know, came out to bat, nobody looked like uh, staying out there and then taking the match deep. I think Udana took the match till the end, which meant that uh, South Africa, I think they, they were kind of, uh, <laughs> I think they they were a bit afraid towards the end. Uh, They also bowled some loose deliveries or length balls, uh, which Udana Udana was able to hit. And I think if I'm not wrong, Udana was also out of a no ball. He got a life, basically. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, he managed to take uh, Sri Lanka pretty close to that target. But it was not enough. Um, So amongst the bowlers, I think uh, Chris Morris uh, bowled very well at the beginning of the innings. I think he, he went for under... 10 runs in his first three overs, first two overs, and then he picked up a couple of wickets and then he came back to pick up another wicket. So in the end, he got three wickets for 32 runs. Dale Stein was uh, in amongst the wickets. He got a couple of wickets for 34 runs, although a bit on the expensive side there. Um, Dwayne Pretorius making a comeback into this side, got a wicket for 22 runs. But I think the star of this uh, bowling lineup was uh, Tabres Shamsi with his uh, Chinaman, left-arm Chinaman. He picked up a couple of wickets for 16 runs in his four hours, very economical as well as effective. Um, He put the brakes on uh, the Sri Lankan batting, basically, until uh, Udana, you know, did his heroics. Um, Man of the match was Rasi van der Dusen, and uh, South Africa clinched the series under uh, J.P. Dumini's leadership this time. Uh, They lead the series 2-0 with everything or nothing to play for for uh, Sri Lanka in the last match, I think which will be played at uh, Johannesburg.
2: All right. Well, uh, that was a very comprehensive summary. Thank you, Giri. So, but, well, when I look at this, right, one thing I would like to say is uh, Jeffrey fandersay say, he's, um, well, he's the Betmar of Sri Lankan Cricket for the last couple of years. He's had some run-ins with the management with disciplinary issues. He's had a one-year uh, suspended sentence, right? Kana? I don't know if you followed this guy's career, a very interesting one. So,
0: Absolutely.
2: yeah, so this guy, he… He, he had a one-year suspended sentence due to some misconduct in a night out with the boys near St. Lucia somewhere. And um, this series is making a good comeback. This is the second match where he's been very, let's say, very economical, considering his uh, rest of his teammates are going at 9 and over or whatever. This guy is very good. right? He's a leg spinner. And then also, uh, for me, this has been something I've been complaining right through the ODI leg of the store. Uh, De Silva is batting at 7. I don't understand that. But... Well, he's he's being used as a spinner who who can bat a bit, right? This is one thing. And now it looks like, you know, with the coming matches, Udana seems to be taking over in the shorter formats at least uh, as the finisher, you know, what the the, the role Tissera Pereira held for a while. It looks like somehow Otisarap perera either he's, he's battered at four in this match. I think because of the high score, I think they wanted to promote him. But it looks like Isuru Udana is sort of taking over that finisher's role for Sri Lanka. And we may see him sort of also perform such a role in the World Cup. So this is a, a bolter or a last-minute entry into this Sri Lankan squad who might make a difference in the end. So just some small points to notice. And Malinga has been consistently doing good right through the ODA series. You know, the team lost badly. But he's showing his experiences now. Uh, this guy was also on the periphery for whatever reasons, mostly political, is what I understood. But he was able to prove his fitness in air courts and also come back into the team. And now he's again, now maybe he may or may not be at the helm, but he might look for one hurrah, one last hurrah before he retires, I think, before the end of this World Cup. Some some interesting points here. So yeah, that was a good uh, you know coverage. But my 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 worry is this this is this has been a complete downhill. I don't see them really coming back to win the last match of the tour. You know, they really peaked in the Test Series, but the rest has been a complete whimper from the Sri Lankan team. Uh, let's see how it goes. Karna, anything to add there? Um,
1: yeah. Uh, it, to be honest, it's been a very disappointing performance by Sri Lanka, both in the ODIs and the, uh, and the T20s. Uh, it's now seven matches, and they've lost all seven. Uh, they're in real trouble before the World Cup. Uh, I don't think they know who... Uh, what their batting order should be, uh, who should be uh, opening the innings, and like you said, D Silva is batting at seven, he should be batting up the order, uh, no Chandimal, no Angelo Matthews, uh, they are in real trouble before the World Cup. Uh, I, the only silver lining, like you said, is uh, Udana playing well, and probably Malinga, though he doesn't bowl the Yorker of the old, he's not the old uh, Malinga, but he still is uh, an old warhorse, uh, who's intelligent enough. He bowls his slower deliveries. So he's booked his place, I guess, for the World Cup. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Hathura Singh is, uh, it's been, uh, uh, Hathura Singh has been a, I don't think that he is actually working for the, Uh, Sri Lankan team anymore. Uh, The team doesn't seem to be responding. So, it will be an interesting time before the World Cup. Let's see how it goes. But I think they will struggle mightily in the World Cup.
2: Indeed. No, I mean, look, they still have these two guys, right? And the periphery Matthews is injured. And Chandimal has been, I think, it's, it's sort of been, I don't see them completely jettisoning Chandimal. He's too valuable a player. You know, in the place of an Angelo Pereira or a Priyamal Pereira, one of these guys, you could always see a more experienced... Duo Matthews and Chandival playing wow. there, you know, that would really make a big difference to this team. That's point number one. The other one, of course, what you said, you know, with Hathura Singha, somebody who's sort of had a proven pedigree in other teams, well, he coached Bangladesh, who's also an Asian team, but probably they they respond to his methodologies in a different way, because for example, Dhananjaya De Silva, maybe it's like the Maxwell way, they're trying to get him keen and hungrier, so that he becomes so hungry that all his ego or whatever goes into the background and he... He puts the team ahead of himself. Maybe this is what Chandika Hathurasinghe is doing because usually these methods pan out over a season or so because that's what they have done with Maximal. They have made him so hungry that uh, they have made him convinced that it's not him but the team that will be bigger than him. right? So maybe something like this is going on. But all that is like too subtle uh, set of steps that uh, maybe a Asian team is not able to take this up because if you look at what happened when Chapel uh, was coaching India... He's, he was a bit ahead of his time in that culture and that there were some clashes. So, it, it is going down a tangent. Maybe we can bring it up again. But thanks for your inputs
1: there. Now, I think we can go just on. The, just the one thing before you guys move on. Uh, one of the things that I read about was they are actually planning to have a provincial-style st- uh, tournament with, I think, four or six teams just before the World Cup with all the players uh-huh. playing in that, including Chandimal and Matthews, and then whoever performs in that tournament is going to probably uh, end up in the World Cup team. So that's something that I read somewhere. So I don't know. Interesting. Uh, so I don't. Know. So let's see. That's how a it good goes. point.
2: And that yeah. would be a good, you know, a good way for them to determine their own way. Because Sri Lankan teams have always been traditionally successful when they don't try to mimic a different team's methodology or a culture, but they have their own culture, right? So maybe that's what they're trying to identify. Cool. Okay, I think we can just go quickly to the other uh, match that happened between the last episode and this one. This is this the match for Sharjah where uh, Australia have now gone to Sharjah and you know United Arab Emirates and to, they play Pakistan in a lifted series. So this series is sort of you know an interim for Pakistan at least, but for Australia I think it's very crucial because this is their last ODI series before they really begin uh, the World Cup. So you know when when we look at the scorecard, so. Pakistan batted first, right? So, they not only won the toss, they chose to bat first. So, it was home conditions for them in Sharjah. And uh, it was a standard day-night match. And uh, they started slowly. So, with Imam al Haq and Shan Masood laying down a very solid, uh, you know, platform. So, Shan Masood was on debut because given his very successful uh, let's say, test match performance, I think he's been given a run also in the one-day And also his technique boards well because his formative years have been in England. I think Pakistan see this as an, as an advantage. Therefore, he did a good job here. Uh, was very sedate 40. I think it was a good debut. But I think we tweeted out saying that, you know, he can do a bit more possibly. Uh, but um, Harry Sohail took advantage of this platform. And uh, along with Umar Akmal and a good uh, finish from Fahim Ashraf and Nimad Wasim, They were able to take Pakistan to 280. At one stage, with Akmal and Sohail sort of set, it could look like they could go more. But uh, I think, uh, in this case, Australian bowlers deserve a bit of credit. I think especially I would like to single out uh, Leon, who took uh, one for 38 here. The rest of them went for a bit of runs at the end. But basically, the spinners between them, Leon and Zampa, did a very good job. When it came their turn to bat, so Australia started started very solidly with Usman, Kwaja and uh, Finch adding almost a runner ball, 63. And then once Kwaja was dismissed, I think Finch finally has found some form. You know, He's been being persisted with the team for almost three months. He got his place and then lost his place in the Test match team. So there's been a bit of story there. But he finally broke through and made a 100. And along with Sean Marsh, who finished with 91 not out, and Peter Hanscom, they wrapped up this match with one order to spare. Right? There was not a lot to write home about except Muhammad Abbas, the desert lion. He has been given a chance as a stabilizing influence in this team, and he took one for forty-four. Right, therefore uh, it was good; it was quite good. And uh, any, anything to add, guys? Anything to add on this match here?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Australia were very clinical. Uh, that's the first thing I thought about it because. Uh, all the reviews at the all the comments at the mid innings was that this was a slow pitch and uh, mm-hmm. pakistan had made 280 and should have been a match winning score but the big change for australia from the last three matches in india and uh, here in uh, in uae has been that their top order has been very solid the, uh, the one two and three have performed very well whether it uh, whether it was Usman Kwaja in India and Finch in, a, uh, Finch in one innings, and also here, um, I mean, I think the second uh, the second wicket fell at around 220, and in a chase of 280, they were always going to win. So they were very clinical, uh, and finally Australia seemed to be finding a groove. Uh, the two spinners bowling well, uh, mm-hmm. the opening uh, the opening opening batsman uh, playing well, the top order playing well. Uh, will I mean it'll be tough? I, I think it'll be tough for Smith and Warner to come back into this team.
2: Indeed. So maybe that
1: also is a precursor,
2: you know. They have not been included in the ODI squad, sort of a way in which Langer shows maybe they might not be in the picture for the World Cup, but for the longer formats, you know. We were also speculating about this in the previous episodes. So of course, the other thing you are absolutely right, Karna. So you know, uh, especially Lion and Zampa was also he was also meaning man of the at least man of the match awards in india right but lion has not been winning anything but he has he has played a very subtle but a very important role with this australian team the way they have been performing
0: i think uh, giri you had a point to add here yeah um, so um, australia had uh, lion as well as zampa bowling in tandem apart from that you also have a look at their scorecard and maxwell has uh, you know got away with 10 overs for 50, 57 runs uh, but maxwell is also able to bowl so he's you know he's, he's also able to contribute I think it's also a very important factor for them in the World Cup squad, of course. Um, so, so with three frontline seamers, uh, or two frontline seamers and then three spinners, they already have five bowlers. And la- somebody like Marcus Toynis, uh, a, an all-rounder and also a medium fast bowler, he provides additional uh, you know, uh, strength to this bowling attack, so it look, it's looking very strong at the moment. And they may well be picking at the right time, you know, and uh, they're forming a good team just before the World Cup. It doesn't matter how good you are in the world, if, even if you're number one or number two in the world, uh, in the ODI rankings like England, India are, if you don't, you know, uh, play at your optimum level or at your uh, peak efficiency. Uh, so if, it's going to be really interesting, Australia picking at the right time. And I, I think I also read somewhere about World Cup preparations and uh, uh, World Cup preparations about, the teams are doing right now and what mm-hmm. how the performances will be. Uh, right now, England start out as favorites, uh, together with India. And the third team is probably Australia, because looking at their current form, they might well be. And we also have dark horses like New Zealand, I think we, we have to give them uh, a chance because I think they, they are also a very good squad in English conditions. And the remaining uh, nine places, you know, it's it's, uh, it's it's going to be interesting. So in my opinion, I'm going to make uh, a prediction. So I will say three teams will be in the semifinals, India, England and Australia. The other spot is, I know, is up for grabs.
2: Well, I mean, uh,
0: it's a good one and it's a bit early to discuss
2: this. I think when we discuss through each team, we'll go through it. But my idea is, we may be not writing of Pakistan and Mr. Dees, but it's just because the cricket fan in me wants a
1: very tough competition, maybe. Can you were saying something? Um, one, of the th- one of the things that will be, I mean, and I'm sure you're going to uh, uh, cover it when you preview Australia, but Aust- Australia will have a very tough time picking their bowlers for the World Cup. By my reckoning, I don't think Hazelwood will be in their final 15 because they have—they uh, obviously are going to have Pat Cummins, they're going to have Jai Richardson, they're going to pick the two spinners, and they—they they have to have Mitchell Stark. And so I don't know. Somebody, somebody very good is actually going to miss out on the Australia in the Australian bowling lineup. It'll be very interesting. I mean, with Smith and Waughna coming and with the bowlers being uh, rested, it'll be very interesting to see uh, what the final squad for Australia will be.
2: Indeed. Well, I mean, will Hazelwood and Stark even make it, or maybe they may choose to, you know,
0: be rested because the Ashes follows. Interesting point, Kana. Sure. So, okay. And one more thing, eh? well, my prediction is applicable right now. So uh, <laughs> we have to see at the end of the series if Pakistan make a comeback, you know, and win this 3-2 or even 4-1, um, it's going to be interesting. Then, like you said, Pakistan will be in the reckoning again, and you know, we have to see how it, uh, you know, shapes up uh, until the beginning of the World Cup. Yeah, but both of them, All good. Uh, but Pakistan will play again in England. Let's remember that. So they have additional uh, match time. All just, right,
1: the, right. Just, just the one thing, guys. Before you close the topic, uh, the one thing is Pakistan are not playing at full strength for the series. Some of the, I mean, uh, I don't think Baba was playing yesterday. Who's probably their premier ODI? Not probably he is their premier ODI batsman. The captain isn't playing, so so it might be tough for uh, tough for Pakistan to win the series. But nevertheless, it should be
0: interesting to for us to see how the series unfolds. Indeed. But these are their home conditions, right? So, we we expect them to, you know, at least come up with the goods in the next uh, next match, at least. So, let's... Have... <laughs> yeah. <Very much. laughs> yeah, all good, guys. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely discussion there. So, I would say,
2: um now, let us go ahead with this uh, section that we've been planning. So, from here on in, uh, because we have enough number of episodes before the World Cup begins, we would like to discuss the chances of one team every episode and discuss what are the matches they have and how they plan to probably select the team or who are the major players and so on and so on. So let's start with Afghanistan because they're sort of already in focus because of their performances over the last week and last month. So I would say maybe also because they are one of the newest entrants into international cricket, we can have a quick look at their history and also maybe then their squad and so on. So maybe Karna, would you like to take over here?
1: Sure, guys. Um, So what I'll do is, I mean, because Afghanistan, I mean, though this is the second World Cup, but they are relative new entrants to the cricketing world. So I'll just briefly uh, go over the history of Afghan cricket and how the various coaches who have coached them uh, have played a very important role in where they are today, uh, being uh, one one of the test playing nations. Uh, Cricket in Afghanistan actually started pretty late. It was in the late 1980s when they actually started playing cricket. So you can imagine how young the cricketing nation is. They've they've only been playing cricket for 30 years. Um, Afghanistan, as it is now, even then was a war-ravaged country. And uh, you had many refugees who migrated from Afghanistan to the neighboring uh, Peshawar province of uh, Pakistan. Uh, and Pakistan does have a very major influence on Afghanistan cricket, as I will explain in a little bit later. Um, among these migrants uh, was Taj Malik, who is arguably the most influential person you can say in Afghanistan cricket. Uh, Taj Malik was—he uh, used to stay in the refugee camps of uh, Pakistan, uh, though being from Afghanistan—and he was the one who set up the Afghan Cricket Club. This Afghan Cricket Club consisted of his brothers and uh, other people from these refugee camps. And uh, this club, the Afghan Cricket Club, they would actually play in the Peshawar League with uh, the other teams, uh, with the other Pakistani team, the, the local clubs of Peshawar. And uh, actually the standards of these clubs were, were quite good uh, in the sense, that some of the cricketers who were actually playing in those clubs, who represented Pakistan at a later later date, were Umar Gul and Arshad Khan, the off spinner who played who played for Pakistan. Uh, and the Afghan uh, the Afghan cricket club, they were quite competitive. They would even beat them uh, at times. So so they had a so the the element of competition uh, and playing against good quality opposition was always there with. Afghanistan. Uh, And this was all in the early 90s uh, when uh, the cricket club was formed. Uh, In the meantime, in 1995, the Afghan Cricket Federation was also set up uh, by Allah Dad Nuri. Uh, uh, In fact, there was a conflict between Allah Dad Nuri and uh, Taj Malik as to who hold, I mean, who is the preeminent person in Afghanistan cricket? Finally, they came to a compromise that uh, Alladad Nuri would handle the—he would be the president of the Afghan Cricket Federation—and uh, Taj Malik, once he came back to Afghanistan, would end up as being the first coach of the Afghanistan cricket team. Uh, in 2001, uh, the ICC awarded the Afghanistan cricket team, affi- Afghanistan, the affiliate membership. And uh, as I said, Taj Malik was the very first coach of the Afghanistan cricket team. Um, the first set of fixtures uh, the team played was in 2004 in the Asian Cricket Council, uh, which was a tournament featuring 15 Asian teams. I mean, all these small nations, like you see Nepal and uh, China and uh, Afghanistan. So also. And uh, imagine this was the first, very first tournament. And in a team of 15 teams, they actually finished sixth. So this was how I mean, and uh, in in one of, I was reading in one of the articles, and uh, uh, what Taj Malik says is they were so used to the competition in the Peshawar leagues, and uh, so they, they actually found it quite easy to play against these Asian nations. Um, so after uh, so after that, uh, until uh, by 2008, that's in a matter of four years they reached the Division 5 of the World Cricket League, which is the lowest division uh, identified by the ICC. Um, but, and uh, obviously, Taj Malik, uh, at, at this point of time, the Afghan Cricket Board decided that they needed a more professional setup, and uh, they decided to hire Kabir Khan. Uh, as the, They fired, uh, unfortunately, uh, you have to say, Uh, They fired uh, Taj Malik and they hired Kabir Khan. Kabir Khan uh, was a Pakistani player. Like I said earlier, uh, Pakistan actually has a very major influence. Um, So he was an ex-Pakistani player and he he coached uh, Afghanistan in two terms. His first term was between 2008 to 2010. And under him, he was responsible in guiding them from Division 5 to 4. To finally ODI status in 2009. Imagine a country just gaining—they uh, just started playing in, 2000, uh, in 2004. I mean, though they got their affiliate status in 2001, so from 2004 to 2009, they got their ODI status in five years, and um, they also reached the ICC—they uh, also reached the ICC World T20 in uh, 2010. And they also played the 2012 ICC World T20 in Sri Lanka. In fact, uh, the very interesting, uh, an interesting fact is many of the players who played then, Mohammad Nabi, who's one of the most uh, well known players in uh, Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan cricket, he actually played, he actually played in some of the matches in 2010, and then Shapur Zadran, and then even the current captain, uh, uh, Asgar Afghan he also played in 2010 so so, so uh, i mean it's it, it's it's down to these people you have to admire these people uh, who had to go through so many hardships to actually reach there and then guide mm-hmm. afghanistan through uh, through the years um, so kabir khan ha- had an extremely successful uh, coaching tenure like i said yeah, he, under him they got the odi status they played in two uh, world t20s uh, inzama molhak uh, the great pakistani batsman he he started off as uh, uh, one of the he started off as a batting coach for uh, afghanistan and finally became the coach of the team in 2015 and under him they won their first ever odi and t20 series against a test playing nation in the, against zimbabwe the Then uh, the next coach, but he resigned because he was offered the post of the chief selector for PCB, which I think he still, which he still is. Uh, The next coach was Andy Moles. Um, Andy Moles plays a lot of emphasis on fitness. He he took Afghanistan to the World Cup. In in fact, Afghanistan played. I mean, Afghanistan was one of the feel-good stories of the last World Cup. Uh, They played. uh, They were very competitive in their matches. especially against bangladesh and uh, afghanistan their bowling uh, their bowling was very good uh, their batting struggled a little bit understandably so because this was the first world cup they might have been overawed a little bit by the situation but their bowling uh, especially led by hamid hassan and shapur Zadran, who have achieved cult status actually uh, and uh, uh, the one controversial and they, and uh, the one thing i forgot to mention uh, they actually won their first ever World Cup match against Scotland. Uh, I mean, if you go through the archives of the match, uh, obviously, I mean, it was a big thing for both both the associate nations at that point of time. Uh, they knew that their best chance was to beat each other. And uh, just a quick recap of, uh, recap of the match. Um, uh, Scotland batted first. They scored to, uh, 210 uh, uh, in their 50 overs. And Afghanistan batting, chasing the team, uh, chasing the score, where I think 192 for nine. And with their number 10 and number 11 batsmen at the crease. There are two great bowlers, Hamid Hassan and Shapur Zadran. And uh, they both nudged and nerdled. And finally, they got there and they actually won the match, which is a great achievement for them. Uh, The one controversial uh, uh, thing about Andy Moles' tenure as a coach... uh, Like I said, he laid a lot of emphasis on fitness. Uh, He was responsible for dropping uh, Mohammad Shahzad from the World Cup squad, actually, uh, which created a bit of a a storm in Afghanistan because Mohammad Shahzad is obviously a very popular cricketer in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, Whether it was the right decision or not, I can't really say because... He is one of the stalwarts and of Afghan, Afghan cricket and maybe he should have got an opportunity to play the World Cup. I, I hope he does play uh, I hope he's picked for this World Cup and he does get to play uh, his dream. Uh, I mean he gets to uh, fulfill his dream of playing in a World Cup match. Um, then uh, the other coach the, the next coach was Lalchan Rajput. Uh, Lalchan Rajput uh, has been around the circuit a, a bit. Uh, one of the interesting things, and I'm, I'm sure probably not many people know, is he was actually the manager of the 2007 India, uh, the World T20 winning uh, Indian Indian team. So he's been around the block a little bit. He's also coached in the IPL, uh, which doesn't matter so much. Uh, and he was named as the head coach of the Afghan uh, national team. Um, under him, they defeated West Indies for the first time in a one-day international and uh, they were promoted to full membership of the ICC uh, International Cricket Council. Uh, uh, Finally now, uh, their their team is now being coached by the very well-respected Phil Simmons, uh, the former all-rounder for the West Indies, who has coached uh, Ireland to success and uh, even West Indies earlier. And uh, under him now, Uh, just like uh, Ajit and Giri discussed uh, a couple of weeks back, or I don't remember, was it last week, Um, Ireland achieved their very first uh, test victory. So it's been a great journey. Uh, uh, The journey is pretty young. It's only been uh, now, what, 30 years, but they've achieved some great things in this 30 years. And I hope uh, they will continue to uh, perform this way and uh, hopefully win a lot of hearts. Uh, and uh, go forward. All right, lovely, lovely summary Karna. So in
2: this case, um, you know, just to add a few points, uh, we should always think of these other players from Afghanistan who had a very key role in their initial years, right? Like, players like Hastigul or uh, Karim Sadek or Khalik Dad, if you remember, right? Or yeah. uh, Rais Ahmed, uh, Ahmed Zai. All of these people, Mirwais Ashraf, who sort of now not in the setup anymore, but was involved, right? Along with Navroz people like Mohammad Shahzad. Huh? Navroz Mangal, the first captain. Navroz Mangal, state. of course, the first captain. So he, yeah. So these are all like very key players in that setup. And, you know, when you look at the average age around the current ODI team of Afghanistan, they're still very young. You have all these oh, wizened heads like muhammad Shahzad or... Nabi, they're all in their early 30s still. They still have a couple of years to give to this cricket system. So it's all fantastic. So what I see is you're absolutely right. Their backgrounds were maybe starting very humble. But then you always had this Junoon. I will use this word. So they were very thorough and they were always, you know, always confident to the point of being overconfident at times. But they would always deliver. This is what we saw, right? From winning their first ODI, playing their first ODI in 2009 onwards, right? So one other thing, I think, I think uh, Taj Malik who was a bit bombastic. You know, I, I read one of his interviews recently. It was as, I think it might have been as late as uh, like into 2016 or 2017. He was claiming that if he were still the coach of Afghanistan, Afghanistan would be the top five ODI ranked team in the world or within the top five. And I sometimes think, you know, it's a culture of the team. Like what I would, what we were discussing with Sri Lanka. Each team plays with their own culture and their own mindset. If you try to copy another team's mindset is when you sort of face a downfall. But it's, it's, it's a very it's a very careful balancing act that sometimes you need a fully professional outfit, right? And a better a coach who's seen more of the world's cricket would be a helpful, you know, inclusion. For example, you know, Phil Simmons, what you're saying is a very good example. He's seen many, many uh, associate and affiliate teams. He has coached Ireland to greatness, more or less, right? He's been the father of their rise in international cricket, if I may say that, right? He's been the architect of that. Then he had a aborted attempt, if I may call that, in West Indian cricket. But then he's back again doing what he does best, uh, sort of pushing underdogs to perform beyond their, you know, beyond their ken and taking them forward. So he, they're in the right hands going into the World Cup. This is my opinion. Uh, but also, as you say, I think they have a very solid team with Af- Asghar Afghan leading them, you know, uh, with all these players, Sort of still at the peak of their career. You have Rashid Khan, we'll have to mention him. We have to mention persons like uh, Zazai, you know, Hazratullah Zazai. Probably, you know, uh, we'll go into the player shortly, but all these players really deserve a mention. But one other player we would really lo- like to also mention is Rahmat Shah. He's really seen as the future of Afghanistani batting. The way he bats so confidently and so steadily, he's like a banker, right? Somebody like Gary Kirsten in their lineup. He would like to stay there absorb the pressure take his time and i think he plays the same way no matter the format of the game he's an old school creator he tries first 20 balls he'll block he'll just try to get his eye in so to say unless he's playing a t20 of course and then he gets on with it so with these sort of people sort of providing a steadying influence what you already pointed out right Karna? That's a very good point that they don't give up you know when they are eight down many teams can shut off the tv and go home or start doing something else this Afghanistani team, you would not do that. I think time and time again, at least in the latest uh, series against Ireland, the One Dayers, they kept proving that. They have a sting in the tail. Somehow, in the last minute, Rashid Khan bat, Mohamed Nabi bats with him. These guys play a lot of T20 cricket around the world, so they have a more polished skill set when it comes to even batting. They are able to deliver. They are able to deliver for the national teams. It's like, I mean, if I may use this parlance, somebody like Ronaldo or you know Messi or one of these people who actually are superstars in their own right in their clubs. Coming back and delivering for their country, a tournament or a you know an important match. So it's, it's it's a very nice thing to see that their cricket is actually benefiting from. Whereas West Indian cricket is sort of suffering from all these people going out and playing uh, franchise cricket as mercenaries or uh, T20 leagues. Afghanistan actually is benefiting from that sort of an approach. That's that that might be a good mindset for teams that are looking to build on their experience and looking to build a good strong player base to actually do that. Even Nepal may follow this, you know. So it's just a point I wanted to mention. So, uh, Giri, you have anything to add? So maybe, you know, we could also mention people like Hamid Hassan. He sort of injured out of the game. He was recently commenting against, um, commenting in the Ireland test, right? Because when you look at it, this, this this was also a key bowler. He took five hours and he used to bowl with the headband. a headband. Very unique. It's a very unique memory evoking certain 80s cricketers and such such a, so what I'm trying to bring to this whole conversation is this passion. The passion that you associate with the play, way they play their cricket is also a passion that infects you if you follow this team. Right, Karna?
1: I think, yeah, I, I think one thing about Hamid Hassan, a couple of things actually. Uh, uh, if I mean, like you said, the headband is very famous and the other thing was his face cream or whatever he used to put on his uh, face, he would actually have the Afghan flag, that would be of the colour of the Afghan flag. Uh, 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 when he used to play. So that was something in a really interesting uh, whenever he used to step out on the field of play.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, Indeed. And
1: and the other thing is uh, something that's very recent. I mean, I, I actually was wa- watching uh, one of Hazrat Zazai's uh, innings and Hamid Hassan in his commentary, he would always, uh, I mean, whenever there was a hit six, uh, whenever a six was being hit by Hazrat Zazai, uh, he would suddenly go... Shpakiza, Shpakiza, and I was like, uh, he's saying something. He's not speaking English. And I actually checked, and that is uh, Pashto for for six. Uh, So that's what you say. And in fact, their I think their T20 league is called the Shpakiza Cricket. uh, I mean T20 league or something like that just something that i wanted
2: to well picked actually well picked i was about to mention that myself as well so really i what i would like to already say this it's a bit early in the piece but i think we are we are really a, appreciative of the amount of research you've put in karna and i think you can come back as a team specialist for every team later but we'll take this offline right all right <laughs> now if you were to look at sort of a composition of the squad again some research you've done for us offline right so uh, this is the composition, right? We can go into the players now a little bit more in detail. So you have these bunch of openers. You have Mohammad Shahzad, Hasratullah Zazai, Javed Ahmadi, Ali, Sadran, right? Uh, now, would you like to take us to the middle order and the rest of the all-rounders and bowlers, maybe? Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, like I said, openers, uh, I hope, like I said earlier, I hope Mohammed Shahzad gets his chance. Uh, and... Hazratullah Zazai is somebody to watch out for at the at the World Cup. People interested in uh, playing the fantasy league, you should definitely pick him because he's going to be of less points. Uh, in fact, one of his I mean, he's a very attacking batsman, uh, uh, very bottom end player. Uh, he tends to hit between uh, long on and mid-wicket. Uh and He's known for hitting sixes. He he uh, he just scored 158 in a T20 match where Afghanistan broke the record and scored uh, 278 for three uh, in a T20 match. Uh, he's somebody to really look out for. In fact, in his own words, he says if he bats for 30 overs, he should be somewhere near 200. So it'll be very interesting to see him in the World Cup. Uh, in terms of the middle order, we already talked about Rahmat Shah. Uh, he's probably their most technically correct batsman and their more classical batsman. Uh, Asghar Afghan, who's their captain, uh, very experienced uh, and uh, somebody who can steady the middle order. Hashmatullah Shahidi uh, as well. Uh, one of the things you get from this middle order is uh, they are probably more on the solid side and not somebody, uh, not, not people who actually attack, attack the ball. Uh, or very aggressive in uh, uh, when I say that they they are probably more into building the innings. Uh, then with respect to the all-rounders, it is uh, Gulbadin Naib and Mohammad Nabi who we talked about. Mohamed Nabi would in my in my estimation, Mohammad Nabi would actually have been a much more of a household name if he was playing for, uh, for somebody else apart from Afghanistan. He's a very good batsman. He's somebody who can be attacking. Uh, also, uh, he can be somebody who can actually play according to the situation as well. Uh, and then uh, bowlers, would you guys want to take uh, uh, speak about the bowlers?
2: Yeah. So, well, I mean, when we look at uh, some some off offbeat players, like for example, Samuel Shenvari, I always was looking and hoping he'll have a bigger role we sort of lost out, and maybe he'll still come back into the mix, right? Najibullah Sadran is sort of the upcoming star, they say, because he also hit 100 in this series against Ireland, right? And you have some all-rounders. I would definitely group Rashid Khan as an all-rounder, right, Kana?
1: That's correct. I mean, he, he's been very good with the bat in recent times, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. Also, you have these mystery spinners, Mujib, and along with Rashid, right? And also, I don't know if after bowlers, these are like steady bowlers. They're not, they're not really great. They're not very speed, like great speed merchants or something. Yeah. And what I, what I like also in their team composition, they have these, for example, the keep, keeper, uh, Ikram Malik Hill, for example, or you know this Wafadar uh, Momand. Yeah. Strangely, these are people who are sort of in their test match teams. They already have like a bifurcation: people who are very good at test match skills people who have good one-day skills. You have all this mixture of players like, um, you know, Java Ahmedi might be more suited to a test match, for example. But at the same time, you have people like, as I said, um, all these people, all these players who, they already, for a team that are evolving and developing, who have only played hardly a few tests, they've already found a way that, uh, you know, they have sort of people that are specialists in certain groups. Normally a team that is just developing themselves doesn't really look for that. They have 15 players of set of 15 who would play all the formats but this shows how far ahead their thinking is. Right? Wafadar Momand or somebody. Right? He, he, would, he would be a good fit also in the one day team but we'll see also the other guy the Yamin, um, Yamin Sai. Zai, Yamin Sai, I remember his name. He's a wonderful proponent of swing bowling, and I think he would really enjoy bowling in England. So we don't know; he may be like a, you know a bolter for the one-day squad as well. What do you think, Karna?
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. I mean, uh, uh, one word about Daulat Jadran that we uh, that if you if you see his action, I mean, the first thing that reminds you is he bowls like Wakar uh, Yunus, actually. And he has a round-arm action, maybe obviously not the same pace. Uh, but uh, somebody who can actually reverse swing the ball—I mean, who swings the ball and who can actually reverse swing the ball at a decent enough pace. Uh, I mean, uh, I read, read an article that he would—he mm-hmm. used to bowl at 145 earlier. I don't think he does anymore. But he's a—he's a good seamer. Uh, I don't know whether Shapur Zadran played in one of the matches. The—the the tall left-arm quick who played mm-hmm. in 2015. He played yeah. in one of the ODIs. So he—he—he he, he also may be on the uh, on a come. Back. And like you said, some of the test bowlers, they're very good. Uh, they probably will uh, should find a, find a place in the uh, final squad for Afghanistan.
2: Yeah. Indeed. All right then, that was a fairly comprehensive, I would say, you know, roundup. Uh, also, as you say, you know, off- offline, what you're pointing out, Karna, that. Many of these players learned their skills in the Pakistani leagues. For example, Shahzad, who played probably sometime in Karachi, right? And yeah. with maybe even he, he had some um, things with the I think Giri was pointing this out offline to us. So, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Part of country, and they don't have a stable base, but now they're building this. They're building this culture, probably. Um, like many other countries out there, this is a unifying, unifying thing, cricket, for them, right? So... I think I think they take pride in the way they play. They wear their hearts on their sleeves for sure. When you see some of their celebrations, especially guys like Muhammad Shazad, you you really enjoy you all his champion dances and carrying him, carrying the trophy on his head when they win. Those things will really stay with you if you've ever seen them live, right? So these guys are a bunch of characters and they really, really bring a lot of colour to the way they play the cricket. There's this staid, mature manner in which you conduct yourself on field for sure. But there is certain spontaneous joy in the way certain teams, especially West Indies and definitely Afghanistan, they experience and they, they sort of show that to you and you get carried away in that spirit. So I think they're very unique as a team that way. I think uh, we've, we've had a good good discussion here and I think now we, we can just quickly go to the list of matches that they play in the World Cup. So when we look at their uh, when we look, their, look at return, so they have a... They play the first match against uh, Australia on the Bristol country ground in Rose Bowl, I think. So, then they have this, um, oh, no, that was in Bristol, right? Then they play in Rose Bowl in Cardiff Stadium against Sri Lanka on the 4th. On the 8th, they play against New Zealand, right? And on the 15th, uh, they're back at uh, Rose Bowl when they play against South Africa, and so on and so on. So uh, then they they, they they play the big, big, big teams starting from here. So they play England on the 18th. They play India on the 24th, right? And then the last two matches they play in Headingley against Pakistan and, Afghanistan and uh, West Indies. So Headingley and Aegis bowl both these pitches are fastball friendly. It's going to be interesting. So when we look at their chances, look, uh, on a head-to-head, I would really be surprised because both the teams are playing out of their home conditions. Afghanistan versus Sri Lanka could be a closer affair than one would expect, right? Their second match. Uh, but then I really don't fancy them in any of the other matches until they play Bangladesh, Pakistan, and West Indies at the very end. So you know, uh, this is a this is an offhand analysis. I'm just doing more or less, you know, something. I just gave it a thought a while back. Uh, they may end up with about four wins out of out of their eight matches out of their nine matches so it's a very interesting thing uh, maybe this puts them in number fourth on the table or some such and given that they may have a good run rate they may have a real chance of qualifying to the next round so uh, guys jump in and i would really like to know your opinions whether some of these matches may go in a different way i would say given given these chances uh, they may actually have a good chance of upsetting somebody like Sri Lanka and making it to the quarters. What do you guys think? Karna, maybe?
1: Okay. Um, I reckon they're going to win three matches. I think they're going to beat Sri Lanka. Uh, la, la, like we spoke about, I, I think Sri Lanka are a mess right now. Uh, I, uh, by my, I think even in the last year's Asia Cup, when Sri Lanka were a much better team, uh, Bangladesh beat them. So I uh, my this thing is they're going to beat Sri Lanka. They're going to beat Ireland. Uh, you expect them to be favourites against Ireland. And uh, then it's going to be interesting against Pakistan. I think they're going to just beat one of the big teams. I, I think they're going to end up with three wins. That is just my gut feeling uh, at the moment. Uh, uh, I, I think they're going to end up with three. Uh, let let me put it right. that way. The, the thing is... and. A lot is going to depend on how well they actually bat. If they score about, if batting first, if they score about 275, uh, you have to expect them uh, that they will defend the total because they have a very good bowling lineup, especially with their mystery spinners who can actually trouble the batsman on any pitches, actually. So let's see how it goes. My, uh, you say four, I say three. So let's see how it
2: All goes. All right. We'll see. I mean, yeah. I would be happier to take three. I mean, I'm a bit of an optimist because I really like this team. I would like to challenge you, but at the end of the day, you're absolutely right when you say that they are sort of, you know, probably how they bat out the first 15 overs against the new ball, two new balls at least, at the top of an OD first would be very, very crucial. Also, otherwise, if they're chasing something, the go slow, the traditional way of approaching a one day where they take some time at the beginning and then maybe actually after 30 might not be enough to win... Because it looks like it is going to be a high-scoring World Cup, right? They they score solidly between, say, 230 to 216 most of their matches. But against playing in a big team, they might suffer. Giri, you have a point here?
0: No, about uh, the results, you know, that we were expecting. Ajit, you went for four wins. Karna, you went for three wins. I'm going to go for two wins. I'm going to give uh, Sri Lanka a little bit of a hope here. I'll let them win against uh, Afghanistan. Um, All right. <laughs> just for the sake of, you know, having a different uh, opinion. Uh, but it might well be that Sri Lanka, you know, uh, may come back from, you know, from, they, they may get, they may have taken a beating in South Africa. This might propel them, you know, kind, kind of uh, come back uh, strong. So I'm hoping for that. So I'm going to give Afghanistan two wins, although I hope they do well, uh, better than this, because it's always good to see a subcontinent team doing well in English conditions. Uh, so if, um, so at least one subcontinent team will be in the semi-final and hopefully that's India. Apart from that, anyone, anyone else wants to take that, uh, take the remaining three spots, it's up to them. So All Afghanistan, right. I don't know if they they can make it to semi-final So let's, let's see. So we're, I'm going to go for two wins for Afghanistan. All right. So, I mean, basically, if
2: we were to summarize this, based on this sort of a conflicting opinion we may have, I might be the most optimistic of the lot. But realistically <laughs> speaking, I would say, we really can't see Afghanistan making uh, a semi-final, or, more importantly, going through to the qualifier section of the tournament. I think they might fall short there. But any number of wins they may rack up will be a credit to them, even where they're starting off from, right? That's one thing. The other thing, well, I was really hopeful of a four-Asian team semifinal. You just broke my heart, Giri. But that's okay. Uh, all right. Now, um, sh- do, do we have anything to add, guys? Both of you.
1: No, I guess I guess
2: nothing from my side. I think we're good. All right, then let's go further, guys. Now going on with the agenda, let's take a quick look at you know some of the miscellaneous cricketing news from around the world. So the first thing is, well, BCCI, we just sort of quickly covered this at the last episode because it was news breaking while we were just recording the episode. BCCI uh, met, really looked to advertise the coaching positions for the men's team. So maybe in this episode, we can go a bit deeper into it because we know that at the end of the World Cup, the positions of the head coach of Indian cricket team, along with you know the assistant coach, the bowling and the fielding coach also comes up for review. Right. So, what do you guys think? Is it really so if they were to really advertise these positions out, are we thinking that there will be a change in the setup of the Indian coaching team, or is this just another check to see if there are better candidates out there, or maybe
0: also take the captain's input there? I think, um, um, I don't know if they're trying to rock the boat here because uh, Kohli would like to have. I think Kohli's preference, if I can say that out loud, but I think Kohli's preference was Ravi Shastri and that was the reason he was drafted in at the last moment when Anil Kumble stepped down last time round. Um, so it, maybe it's part of the legal procedure that they have to do this. Uh, we might well have the same coach and the same supporting staff. At least the head coach would probably be the same after this World Cup. But if Mr. Shastri wants to do it, that's another question. We haven't heard his side of the story yet. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, the, the supporting staff we look at is we have bowling coach Bharat Arun and, uh, batting coach Sanjay Bangar. And yeah. these two guys have been around, I think, even uh, when Anil Kumble was the coach. So they've had a longer tenure than uh, Ravi Shastri. If Ravi Shastri stays as the head coach and wants a change in personnel, he might want to go for someone else. That's probably uh, down to his preference. Um, uh, we haven't heard the coach's side of the story or the captain's version of it. So we'll probably not pick this up topic in uh, with a lot of vigor and th- I think until the World Cup has uh, finished or when it, the dust has settled after the World Cup, then it will become a hot topic again. But they've just done this probably to start uh, you know, legal proceedings if that's required, maybe just down to the contract clauses and all those things. Nice. Kanna, what do you think? I am going the other way. Uh, i think generally world
1: cups are the end or the start of a new cycle i i, I think ravi shastri will will not uh, i think i think it's a given that whoever virat kohli wants as captain will be the ca- i mean sorry wants as the coach will be the coach the whole process i think is just an eyewash i mean last last time we saw that ravi shastri was hadn't applied and then they made sure he applied and then uh, sachin tendulkar made sure that ravi shastri was picked but uh, it's been now I think three years since Ravi Shastri took the job. Uh, he's done. I mean, to be fair to him, uh, I think is that You can only go by somebody's results, and India have done well in the last uh, three years. Uh, so, but I don't see. I, I think with the World Cup, uh, uh, Ravi Shastri's tenure is going to end, and India are going to look for a new coach. The question is who the new coach will be. Uh, my by my by. I mean, if I have to look at uh some of the contenders i probably think india might go for somebody like tom moody uh after the world cup because they don't i mean we've seen that strong per people with strong personalities do not work as coaches do not work in the indian setup. so that's that's my opinion
0: actually so what you're saying then is we might see a change in personnel not just uh the coach but as well as the captain uh, I think we spoke about this uh, in one of our previous episodes, Sajit, that uh, Virat Kohli may have had enough after the World Cup and he might even, even step down as the ODI captain. He might still continue as a test captain. But I, somebody like Rohit Sharma could take over, I think. He has the newest uh, and also the... But do you have something to say there, kana uh,
1: I don't think Kohli will step down. I, I think it will be very tough for Kohli to play under... Uh, i know it, it has happened with dhoni but i think it will be very tough for kohli to play under somebody else in this team uh because he's he's so in your face he's so he has such a dominating personality he's obviously the most important player he he is the uh, he's the best batsman in the world right now probably the most famous cricketer it'll be very tough for somebody to captain kohli uh, I, I don't think that will happen i think the personal around him will change but i think kohli will be maybe after the next world cup uh, things might change, but but he's he's only 30 now. I think he's just turned 30, so I I don't see him uh, relinquishing captaincy so fast. That's just my opinion at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think it's a very very valid point. So he's a very strong, uh, you know, he has alpha male characteristics basically. So he wants to be the boss, yeah. Yeah. right? So it, it's interesting, really interesting, what will happen after the World Cup? Yeah,
2: good one, guys, good one. So let's move on to the next point here. The next point is. Well, uh, Olivier, Tuan Olivier, who's sort of waiting for a clearance to get his call pack deal through with Yorkshire for a three year deal, he sort of indicated that he really hopes to play for England as well. You know, he says if he gives his all over the three year period, he may actually qualify and he may actually also be able to represent England. Now, with Joffrey Archer in the frame, they have sort of reduced the qualifying period to four years or something. So he see, he feels he has a chance and he still has enough of a time that he actually wants to represent England in Test cricket. This comes as a very surprising thing because somebody who's already playing test cricket, giving up this test match playing opportunity to play in a county league to play test match for a different country. It's almost like, well, I think he's choosing the style of uh, livelihood in England over the what he was experiencing in South Africa, possibly. It really doesn't come across good to the people who uh, made him who he is today. But that's my opinion. What do you guys think?
0: I think... Um... <laughs> it's a strange turnaround if you ask me uh, because like you said, he has already played test cricket for a certain nation where he was born and brought up. Um, But who is to say, you know, I mean, if that's what he wants to do, if that's his aim, he might well have that aim, but there is a lot of competition around in the English domestic setup as well. So if the English selectors, you know, should he become eligible to play for England uh, cricket team? Will uh, will the uh, selectors consider him? Uh, Do they have, you know, uh, is there no um, local talent available uh, so if that's probably uh, he will probably be there as a worst case scenario if there's no one else to uh, uh, you know, bowl in his place but it's it's very strange according to me uh, but let's see, I mean <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he played but it's not going to happen, I don't think that will happen he's spoken his uh, yeah. Karna? Yeah. I think
1: it'll be a really sad day if that happens. I hope it doesn't happen. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Look, I mean... The same for all the reasons that you guys was, said. Yeah, for all the reasons you, you guys said.
2: Whatever I mean, point Giri made is relevant also when it comes to Archer. The exact same questions that Archer... What what qualification does he bring? Why can't you pick a homegrown in Air Coach bowler? Because after all, he's played for Sussex for many years already. Archer no, did but Archer that.
1: didn't. Archer didn't play for another country, right? I mean, uh, this guy played for another country, so that's why that's why I feel it will be very sad if he plays. Uh, if he chooses to play for england i mean it's it's his choice Correct. it's his life that's true
2: yeah, but, but... Look, archer is a shoe in if he were to ever want to go into play into the west indian cricket team right i'm just that's saying true. the word shoe in because <laughs> at least for the tests possibly but look i mean <clears throat> it's it's all a by the by story but you're absolutely right it's a very sad turn of events when you look at it that way right anyway uh, i think this is one very sort of an interesting story we wanted to go into now going further uh, some Quick topics, like, you know, Kane Williamson has been awarded Sir Richard Hadley medal as the best New Zealand cricketer for the year, last year, right? So I think it's a well-deserved award. And maybe it's a precursor that this guy might win more in the upcoming ICC awards.
0: What do you guys think? Well, I think he's, it uh, he thoroughly deserves whatever accolades he's, uh, you know, uh, getting at this moment. Um, so he's up there with Kohli and uh, Joe Root and also Steve Smith when he does come back to the squad. Um, so, modern-day great already. And I think probably the best New Zealand batsman ever. Truly deserving. All right then, Karna.
1: Yeah, fully deserving, like Giri said. The only tragedy for me when it comes to K.M. Williamson is New Zealand. Uh, I mean, they do not and in the future will not play as many test matches as, as they should play. So, he's going to end up with a lot lesser runs than the other three great batsmen of this era, which is a tragedy. Uh, when you consider how good he is, he—I mean, he—he is—he's such a classical batsman. It's, it's a joy to watch him bat. So, I mean, it'll be—it's—it's a, a bit of a tragedy, like you said, that he unfortunately plays for New Zealand, who don't play enough Test cricket. So.
2: All right then. Yeah, I sort of agree. I think their priorities is a bit different, and also. Many countries, surprisingly even countries like India, are not very comfortable touring there to play tests. So I think they're always welcome as visitors to Indian shores. But somehow Indian team is not comfortable going there, which is a topic for another day, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, sort of uh, one last thing I wanted to quickly mention. Bancroft has been chosen to lead Durham in the 2019 county season. So this guy who sort of had a small, you know, uh, blemish on his uh, career. Uh, with some, uh, you know, sandpaper down his trousers or whatnot. Uh, his, his, let's say his uh, uh, rehabilitation has reached a point where a certain county team is even ready to trust him with the captaincy of their club. You know, it's a very interesting turn of events for me, and also one that sort of comes as a bit of a surprise. Karna,
1: any any inputs here? Um, again, very disappointing to see that uh, Dharma have handed him the captaincy. I think. Uh... I'll give you an I mean, I, I'll take another example. Um, the Sunrise is Hyderabad. Uh, Warner has been their captain and has been a very successful, successful captain for them over the years in the IPL. But they chose to retain Kane Williamson as their captain. Uh, it's not really necessary. I mean, one, it puts a lot of uh, unnecessary Pressure on Bancroft, he'll be under the scanner. The second thing is, what kind of a message are you giving out to the people who are watching the cricket? You can you can break the law. Uh, I mean, uh, ball tampering isn't breaking the law, but the laws of cricket. And then as soon as you come back into the squad, you're rewarding them with the captaincy. Uh, uh, that's not a good look for cricket at all. Uh, so I, I, I totally disagree with the decision. Well, you know,
2: I mean... If I were to bring a parallel to another sort of a culprit or a, you know, a, a similar thing that happened with Pakistan, right? there were three people involved. Two were seniors. One was the junior rookie, Muhammad Amir, who was very younger, much younger in age from a different culture and a society altogether, right? social makeup. But at the end of the day, he was given a chance to rehabilitate himself. And in this episode, it looks like Cameron Bancroft has been treated as such. He was also one of the most vocal of those three. He was one of the most vocal when it comes to speaking of. How what his experiences were, what he felt, etc., etc., right? So there is some parallel there, and maybe you know, look at the end of the day, it's about redemption. And maybe Durham did not have any homegrown or other county pros that they could appoint as a captain, so it's a bit of a left field move as well. I really don't know if he brings any captaincy experience. This is the this is the point I would like to bring. But at the end of the day, well, he's made a strong comeback as a player. Into the uh, he finished BBL strongly at the end, and also I think he's he's had a sterling. Uh, sort of a return to the Sheffield Shield in Australia. That is good for Bancroft. But I don't know if he has a lot of captaincy experience in any level. But this might be also a trial for them, right? The, the Durham County itself has been struggling since they've been slapped by a fine and a ban and a demotion, let's say, by ECB. They themselves are not the most strong county anymore. They used to also, always be the New Zealand of the English County League, if I'm not wrong. And suddenly they're, they're finding themselves some doldrums. So I think that that has prompted the management to come out with a left field decision. So, but uh, let's see how that how it pans out. I think uh, Karna, you've been a bit harsh, but maybe you're not very far off, you know, because no, Giri where, Giri was making where, this point
1: offline. Where yeah? the where the Durham count uh, where Durham the county who were docked some minus 30 points or something last year or the year before exactly. or something yeah. like that purely okay. for financial but, reasons, you know, it was not yeah, yeah, a, yeah, match fixing yeah, yeah, or anything yeah, else.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry,
1: Giri. Giri. No, whatever.
0: no, no. It's, it's okay. Uh, continuing in the same vein, um, you know, if we were to go with uh, Bancroft not, you know, being made the captain of Durham, it would also mean that Steve Smith would be given a chance uh, to captain Australian cricket team again. Whether that's going to happen, that's another story. Is not going to be the captain immediately, at, state, at least. So Tim Payne will be there. But yeah, this, this is also open for discussion. Will Steve Smith come back to captain or he's going to make oh. a comeback soon, but will he become a captain? But you have something else? I mean, you you have a different opinion? I'm sorry if I attempted to cut your point short. I'm sorry. That's My point was a simpler one. In this
2: case, it was more like um, if you were to draw the same comparison in Pakistan, uh, I think if I'm not wrong, um, Salman Bhatt has led the, one of their uh, teams uh, to, I think the... Kaida Azam trophy winner at this point in time is the team that's captained by Salman Butt so i think it might be a slightly different thing captaining a county or a first class team at a country level but he might never really get to captain his own country australia again this is something i all I, i'm going to put out there a bit bravely right <laughs> you, you you might call me a bit of a yeah um, yeah what happened you were a bit uh, optimistic earlier in the episode but i'll tell you something in this case i think australia are very strong about it uh, warner and smith may come back into the team but i don't really see them making captaincy options again this is just a choice it might really happen much down the line because he's still very young right he's not at 30 but or just 30 but i have a feeling it's not a forgiving public because shane warne was called as the best captain test captain australia ever had by some of the very seasoned pundits there because he had this very open misdemeanor and sort of a you know he was banned for a year and such he never he never made the Australian captain they chose Ricky Ponting above him and you know history scores sort of rode away from him this might still happen to Steven Smith this is just a thought but I'm, I'm open to discussing this maybe you know we can take it offline guys but it's been a fantastic discussion today thanks a lot Karna I know uh, before we sort of come to the end of this episode we have this again a new trivia question so, uh, the trivia question for this week is, who's the fastest to get 100 ODI wickets in men's cricket, right? We've been discussing a lot of teams, but if, if you've been paying a lot of attention, we've gone through this player's name a couple of times. So, I'm sure you can easily guess the right answer here. So, as always, we would like to uh, request all our fans to get in touch with us, listen to us, and of course, spread our podcast uh, to your, you know, cricket friends and fans, and uh, you are our real strength, we really hope you talk about our podcast, give us, give, a, give us you know, a shout out there, also get in touch with us on uh, Twitter, we are also trying to be sometimes, even during IPL matches, we're there, and at Armchair Pod you know, on Twitter, or our Facebook page, we have an occasional poll, maybe we'll have more come upcoming days, we had an interesting discussion about Steve Smith and Salman, but maybe that's a good poll question for us, right, and so on, so also, you can write into us at armchair.cricket at gmail.com. Always subscribe to the podcast and maybe leave a good rating if that's your opinion. right? Uh, so, once again, I would like to say a thank you to Karna. You've made a wonderful addition to this podcast, Karna, with your in depth research of the Afghanistan team. And I think you really brought a new, new light to the way we discuss things. I think we really enjoyed the banter that you bring and also the knowledge you bring. So, thanks a lot.
1: Thank you to both uh, both you guys uh giri and ajit for having me on the podcast i thoroughly enjoyed my saturday evening uh, just uh, this is just cricket the way i want uh, i like to discuss uh, some strong opinions some arguments and at the end of the day uh, just talking about the game we love uh, thank you guys once again
2: I take the hint, Karna. I think we'll not uh, schedule this on the Saturday night. And from next time, maybe as a family man, you want to spend a bit more quality time with the family. We get it. We get it. All good. <laughs> Having said all that, guys, uh, we have a lot of things coming up in the upcoming episodes. Not only some, maybe some leftovers from IPL, but we would like to continue reviewing other teams' performances for the World Cup and so on. So do stay tuned in.
0: Uh, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from them both. Goodbye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone.